This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. As is customary on a Thursday, it is a leadership dialogue and what a privilege it is today to have the doyen of the accounting industry South Africa's very first ever black chartered accountant not a bookkeeper who knows how to balance the books chartered accountant the very first ever a luminary in financial services a policymaker with a passion for economic development an advisor an economic advisor to the state president of the republic of south africa in those early formative years of a democracy in the making an academic with a passion for learning vice chancellor and principal of the university of transkei and then many years later a chancellor which is different uh at the university of pretoria which really under his sort of overarching watch over the executives has seen the rankings of that university improve yes credit to the administrators but there needs to be somebody who's holding you accountable the chancellor a former chairperson of uh south africa and indeed southern africa's foremost development finance institution which at the moment really is seen as doing a lot of the heavy listing for primary infrastructure deals across Africa the DBSA he set the groundwork for the work that they do chairman of KPMG the newest octogenarian in South Africa and a man to whom we owe a huge debt of gratitude for vision perseverance sound leadership and a dogged determination to see material changes for the lives of all South Africans but in particular black South Africans and for being not just the example for living his truth to the point where from his being inducted the first black chartered South African uh in the country We now have such a huge pipeline of black chartered accountants that just now when was it a few months ago Saika was ranked the very best globally in producing the best talent in the world the most trustworthy accountants in the world the bedrock begins with a professor Wiseman Lumkile Nkuhlo Good morning sir. Good morning Loretta. Thank you very much for inviting me. It is our pleasure. It is our distinct and singular pleasure and I just feel like where do I find the right questions? <laughs> I should just be listening. You know, yeah. you know, you know mm-hmm. when you just this should just be a soliloquy a monologue and we should just mm-hmm. listen, take notes, quietly walk away. But I'm going to do my best sir and please not I mean I'm not a chartered accountant. So um 
I'm not that clever. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. And happy birthday. How does it feel to be 80? You don't look a day over 55. Yes, you know, we we had a big celebration on the 10th of um, February. Yes. And my family spoiled me. And lots of friends came around. It was a really special day. I love that for you. They made me feel young. You look so young. Post that date, I don't feel eighty. You no, you I don't look. You don't even look eighty. Thank you. So let me tell you, I'm just going to bring you a little bit of silly little superstitions here, but that's just <laughs> the way I am. So you know the zodiac signs. Yes. The people born in February, early February, are called Aquarians. Yes. And do you know that we're told of all the twelve zodiac signs, the most intellectually gifted are Aquarians, ranked number one. Oh, I didn't know that. So I think you're living your truth as an Aquarian. No, thank you. Thank you. I didn't know that. So it's really wonderful to have you, sir. And so let's talk about many, many issues, I think, that impact where we are right now as a country. As somebody who was a policymaker and advisor to a president between 1992 and 1996, and then, of course, you worked in various aspects of policymaking and particularly development financing, do you think you were right? Do you think your view of South Africa then and forecasting where South Africa would be now, do you think you were spot on? Yes, we were right. Okay. You know, we had um, great aspirations for this country. We thought we had gone through the most challenging, you know, circumstances yeah. to gain our freedom and that we had the privilege of observing a number of developing countries grappling with the challenges of development. We have seen a number of countries succeed. We had seen some fail. Mm. We thought we had all the lessons in the world to actually uh, be able to take off, hence the great ambition. And as we all know, we made uh, a good start in terms of President uh, Mandela setting the tone in terms of... um, Reconciliation, yeah. in terms of Ubuntu, yeah. in terms of um, standing for what is right and challenging the world leaders where fairness and justice were concerned. He set the right tone. Having been victims of oppression yeah. and so on, it was important for us to say this will not happen again yeah. and we will take the responsibility of providing leadership to the world. Then, of course, as we know, um, under him, he had as deputy, deputy president Mbeki, who, of course, is an economist yeah. who focused on really understanding the economy yeah. and making sure that um, in the early years yes. we do a thorough analysis and really understand the weaknesses and take steps to address those weaknesses. One of the weaknesses, of course, was the fact that the finances of the country were in a bad shape. The national debt was ballooning, the uh, budget deficit was ballooning, and it was a real unsustainable situation where the risk of really getting into a situation where we had to call on the IMF to come and rescue the country. So again, because of that ambition to say that uh, we know what um, happens when countries uh, lose their sovereignty over their policies 
and they get the, the policy yeah. policy making gets taken over by the World Bank and yeah. so on. So uh, President um, Mandela and President uh, Deputy President Mbeki had the courage to challenge their colleagues, the yeah. alliance, and so on, to say we have to take this step. Yeah. Let's tighten our belt yeah. and take the pain now and later, and then we'll reap the results. As we know, later on, after that pain, we managed to grow the economy okay. up to four or five percent. We started to make an index on on uh, on unemployment and so on. Yeah, but unfortunately, later on things changed. Okay, we'll talk about. So that. we had a great ambition. We made a good start, yeah. and those policies were right. Okay, we'll talk about the unfortunate, but let's just focus on where you were actually involved hands-on. So you were involved in those early years of liberation, administration, austerity, analyses, planning, and then beginning the the process of um, uh, governing. But what you're also referring to is economic sovereignty. It's either we we take a, a move to maintain control of our fiscus in our country, or we subcontract that to the multilaterals yes. mm. that are the Bretton Woods institutions that hold Washington consensus yes. and be indebted forever mm. and a day. Mm. It's whether you want to control your destiny or not. So tell us about the luminaries of that era, people who came in, you know, because you were all from what they call the trenches. So you were all revolutionaries, fighters, mm. but you were all academics and professionals in different areas. And I think a lot of that revolutionary fervor is the thing that says to someone, I can't be in exile for 30 years or be in jail for 27 years and then surrender the little bit of power that I now have to someone else simply because the fiscus is in disarray. Yes, yes, yes. You know, uh, we we took the responsibility of governing very seriously and we were very much conscious of the time, at the time, that... uh, the reason we were second or third class citizens in our country, fundamentally at the, behind that was a fundamental idea that developed, especially in the West, yeah. that as Africans were incapable of taking charge and responsibility of our own things, governing ethically and responsibly and really in the interest of our people. Yeah put the interests of, of our people, you know, on top of what we're doing. We're very conscious of that. Mm. There was that thing that we have to prove ourselves, yeah. prove it to ourselves that we can govern better and make sure that the quality of our people post-apartheid is better than yeah. before. Yeah. So that is the reason, actually, that um, the government at that time uh, managed to attract the very best I would say, um, of course, the pool may not have been that great, but it was sufficient mm. to actually make sure that we, we direct the government. We're fortunate, of course, to have um, the uh, President Mandela as the leader, mm. the ethical leader of the country, setting the very high standards in terms of putting the people first. Right. And then um, Tabumbeki came with a deeper pride in proving that uh, Africans, it was disproving mm-hmm. the fact that Africans were incapable of governing mm-hmm. themselves. 
debunk a myth. Yeah, debunk the myth. Yeah. Yeah. So with that uh, commitment, he went out of his way to identify some of the best among the black population yeah. in terms of the the investment that they had made under difficult circumstances to get appropriate qualifications yeah. and actually prove themselves. Uh, as you know, at that time, uh, among the leaders that we got, people like um, Dekhan Moseneke mm -hmm. were called in to mm -hmm. come and uh, lead um, the Telcom. Okay, Telcom uh, uh, is in business. Yeah, telcom okay. at the beginning, and then later on it was the judiciary. And we have uh, Ruel Koza yes. leading um, ESCOM. Yes. And really, if you look amongst the director generals, we had some of our best equipped people as DGs mm -hmm. in, in government. And of course, uh, finance following a few experiments uh, at the beginning, the concern that how the markets would take if if a black person is put in charge of finance. Yeah. Then we got uh, Trevor Manuel yeah. to be the, the, uh, the, the finance minister. So I think the fact that we're inspired by this commitment to disprove the myth mm -hmm. about the incapacity, lack of capacity of Africans to actually govern themselves right. and do things responsibly and competently. We, we worked much harder. We tried our best to meet the highest standards yeah. of ethical conduct as well as competence. Okay. I think at the beginning we had the right people. We proved that we had the people awesome. and so on. Yeah, so th those are the great days. Right. I'm very proud of the fact that I was one of the okay. fortunate yeah. to be chosen yeah. to play a role during that time. All right, so what you're telling us is to build a state, a functional state, not ideologically, just a functional administration, capacity is what matters, and skills. And ultimately, that's what it boils down to. Because regardless of who you voted in ideologically, somebody's got to keep yes, the taps Yes, yes, Loretta, this flowing. is very important. The lights need to be working. Yeah, the buses yeah, no, need to be on the roads. Mm -hmm. The schools need to have their teachers. Capacity is required. And we're seeing a corrosion of that. That is or very, erosion, very important. Rather. That is very, very important. You know, one of the things that uh, when I look at where we've landed as a country, yeah. uh, I, 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 I often say that, uh, you know, looking at the history of the African Congress, how it was electing its leaders, I thought, we had come to a realization that educational qualifications matter. Yes, sir. Competence and ethical conduct does matter. I thought that's how we were, we were leading the, the organization and we took those values to government. So possibly I was naive in believing that. So really when we went to government, I thought those years were leaving those values. And also we believed that... Um, Qualifications, competence, mindsets, uh, mindsets, yeah. and and uh, ethics do matter when you are going to hold the, 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 public the, office. The, the, those offices. Yeah. You know, actually, why I say this is important, you can look all over the world. The countries that really make progress are those who have got competent, professional, ethical bureaucracies. You strengthen that first and respect that. Without found without that foundation. There is no way we can actually comprehend the complexities of business. We will always politicize things and, and really think that we can 
just through using popular language yeah. uh, and really make promises. In the end, we'll not yeah. be able to deliver those promises. To be able to deliver on promises, you have that capacity, right. competence at the bureaucratic right. level. And depoliticized is what you're saying. Politicize it. Doesn't matter who you vote for on yeah. election day, but once you come into the Department of Water, yes, education, yes. foreign affairs, you are a functionary of the state. Correct. Your politics aside, mm. just get things Done. I thought we tried to do that in the early years. Yeah. And you are communicating that. Also, in terms of your SWOT analysis at the beginning, what the threats of a new democracy, what the threats were facing the new democracy, what the opportunities were, and which models to emulate, were there any other countries that stood out to all of you in economic planning and said, if we could do it a little bit like this, then we're well on our way? I know that everybody always uses Singapore as an example, that emerging markets perhaps should follow, or certainly China under uh, Zhang Xiaoping. But are there any other examples Scandinavia has often looked at? Yes, yes. You know, where we had landed in terms of our own analysis before becoming government, I mean, I'm talking about not only African National Congress, but PAC and, and all the organizations, we're drifting towards what we call the Nordic model. Okay where the Nordics, we looked at them, that uh, unlike the Anglo-Saxon, they had managed to to develop market economies that really have less inequalities and really have got programs that really make, uh, try to foster equality in their countries. So we so were very much influenced um, by that. But... but, but uh, you know, in terms of um, successes, yeah, I would say in addition to uh, to the um, Asian tigers, mm-hmm. including Singapore and all that, mm. the other model were the the, 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 the Nordic um, countries. But but really, um, this thing of getting the right balance right. between growth, which seems tends to be promoted and 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 uh, praised by most commentators and really the the well-being of the people yes this is the this is the big challenge for us as um, as a new state post apartheid possibly i would say understanding what was necessary to really empower the majority of the people in the country who happen to be black to be able to to participate meaningfully in the economy. And that possibly uh, we could have done better. I might put it that way. We, as you know, we we, we, we had to do away with discrimination of all sorts and make sure that the laws ensure that uh, there's equal opportunity for everyone and education. Okay. But my view is that much as we had the BE program and we had um, employment equity, we could have done much more in focusing intentionally on building the scientific and technical capacity of black people in particular through transformed education. 
right. of much higher quality than we attended okay. to to do post-1994. Uh, okay, we will talk about the transformation agenda uh, in a moment. Uh, it's just that we've got 30 seconds to the news, so I don't want to delve into something quite heavy if I'm going to interrupt you with the news headlines. But um, I've understood a few things from the conversation thus far. Is that um, in the early days of this democracy, it was very important to build a capable state. Yes. Uh, populated by the intelligentsia, mm. professionals, particularly black, yes. to demonstrate that there is aptitude. Yes. It was intrinsic to, the, to, to setting the tone yes. for what a free and democratic country looked like. Um, you'd done your SWOT analysis. You'd realized the fiscal cliff that South Africa was on. You opted for austerity rather than going to take loans out internationally because it spoke to retaining your sovereignty. You can't just have come into your democracy and then already subcontract yes. the country's balance sheet to international creditors. So yes, that kind of sovereignty was really, really important. Um, and then later on, it was the inclusion that was necessary because the degradation of apartheid was something everybody could viscerally yeah. feel, especially black and brown people. Mm. We'll build on that in a moment. Thank Time you. for the news. The Leadership Dialogue. Yes, and a leader par excellence, uh, an intellectual creme de la creme, uh, an administrator of true capacity, an academic Academic. I like the word academician. I don't know if it's a true <laughs> word. Is that a real word? <laughs> and a doyen of the accounting industry, South Africa's first ever chartered, black chartered accountant, former president of the Black Management Forum, uh, former vice chancellor of the University of Transkei, chancellor of the University of Pretoria, chairman of KPMG, advisor, economic advisor to the President of the Republic of South Africa between the years 1992 to 1996. And I believe even further on, uh, even the leader asked to spearhead the new Partnership for Africa's Development, NEPAD. He doesn't need an introduction, but for somebody who's like, okay, remind me the name, Professor Wiseman Lumkile Ngushu. And the newest octogenarian on these <laughs> Joburg streets. <laughs> and a happy, uh, belated happy birthday to you, Prof. Okay, so we've spoken about the different eras South Africa's in. I loved an economist once, I think it was Gulam Balim, who said South Africa technically has gone through four eras. There was reconciliation, priority at the beginning, then there was economic transformation. Then, unfortunately, a period of institutional degradation and now an era of reform. That we're not seeing the reforms kick in fast enough doesn't mean that we are not in an era of reform. Mm -hmm. To consolidate everything from um, uh, formalizing the NPA into a constitutional, almost Chapter 9 body is part of that reform. reform. Mm -hmm. Some of the economic measures that are being taken to digitalize the economy is because businesses said we need these kinds of interventions. Mm -hmm. We need laws mm -hmm. that tell us what the internet mm -hmm. uh, needs to do, what AI needs to do so that we can adopt these technologies, um, 5,000 more police being trained is part of the reform agenda. Mm. So we are in reform, whatever we may think of the pace or the efficiency of that mm. reform. Would you concur with that view? Yes, uh, we are in a 
period of 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 reform but um for the reforms to really be impactful yeah. we have to resolve the issue of um, erosion of public trust right. in the government right you know this is what is undermining whatever positive things are being done so the elections are very important for that perspective for 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 for, for any organization if you really want meaningful transform uh, uh, reform and 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 really transformation you you have to deal with that you have to acknowledge that there's been that erosion and deal with it and in my view i i believe that uh, much as uh, we we had the great turbulence in the period leading up to 2018 the reform agenda mm. is not as impactful as it could have been okay because we still there is this thing of eroded trust in 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 in, in leadership and in the government so one hopes that uh, the next step is going to be also to deal with that if if i may may i just go back to something else that you said earlier on just to say that from 1992 really to i would say 2000 yeah i was chairman of the development bank and my involvement with the government was in that capacity right. but really being appointed advisor was, was from 2001 okay thank you for that correction yes Okay. So but, but let's just ask you to qualify what you mean by the erosion of public trust and how do you fix that? How do well, you make people trust you? Well, you go to through an election and and get a fresh mandate. Okay. But 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 uh, to me that that's 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 very important that that that, that be done. But of course um democracy is not perfect. but there's no better system than democracy you have to go back and get the will of the people to actually do that and then when when that has happened we have to take full advantage of that and listen and understand where the country is in okay. terms of the policies and the kind of leadership that will be required but i could push back and say let's just call a spade a spade prof so um 2018 and things falling apart was the end of the zuma administration President Cyril Ramaphosa sort of coming in as a take caretaker then needing to go to an election 2019 ANC did win by about 57% of the vote that is a mandate not a substantial margin but that is a mandate and so the last 5 years is a leader governing under a mandate he might not have had the full a uh, conference of the ANC at an elective conference he won that by a small margin but the party did win by 57% so south africans said go out there and fix what needs to be fixed yes 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 no you are right the 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 the, 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 the ANC did get the mandate when it has more than 56% but really if you not only the media yeah but the spirit of the south africans the fact that the economy is not growing unemployment is 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 ballooning uh, and all that so despite getting that the fact of the matter is that um uh, trust of the uh, of the public yeah. in the government has not been restored yeah. because the big issues are not being addressed even if you i mean the the employment issue the growth of the economy the employment issue is a big okay. one and i agree with the steps okay. that have been taken to deal with corruption but uh, people are saying even on that 
we want to see high-ranking politicians in jail. Yeah. And, and, and so on. Those okay. things have not happened. So there, there is restoration of public trust in government and the governing party. Yeah. Still, to me, is a big issue in okay. terms of really enabling us as a candidate okay. to make a new start. Okay, so if I've understood you correctly, you've said, yes, you may have the mandate and you may on paper be introducing the reforms. But if we don't see consequences, particularly yes. in huge issues like state capture, because mm. the reports are there, five volumes of it, then everything you're doing seems very cosmetic. Um, if the lived experience of the of yes. the South African is retrenchment, poverty, yes. no chance of turning that situation around, mm. Mm. it erodes public trust because yes. you're telling us a story of investment pledges but we don't see it translated so we people need to see materially their lives change to believe that what you say is actually what you're doing yes Lerato. and of course the escoms of this world are not helping mm-hmm. the transnet is not helping okay. so there are many things that are big at issues that really and make it difficult for people to regain trust okay. in what is going on All right. in the government. Now that you talk about the ESCOMs of the world, let's put on uh, the hat that you wore as chairperson of the Development Bank of Southern Africa. And apologies for my getting the chronologies yeah, wrong. Uh, but this speaks to what would have happened when South Africa decides what its priorities are going to be. And... Um, we're often told the government doesn't create jobs. It creates an enabling environment. Of course, administratively and some functions will be government jobs. But what government just needs to create is an environment where the private sector invests because that can roll out many, many jobs. And so from the work that you have done with the DBSA, and I know a lot of that work continues even today, my first question is, was it concluded then that South Africa is a developmental state, or do we just throw that term around? Yes, I would say <laughs> we're moving in the direction of making South Africa a developmental state, but we never got there. Okay. One of the big, big issues that you need to get right for a development state, you need um, a competent well-structured, I would say, uh, National Planning Commission. Mm -hmm. Not wishy-washy, but with clear um, objectives in terms of, say, for instance, that uh, we we, we get into government and uh, we we set some goals on saying uh, over 80% of the black people had no access to clean water. Right. They had no access to electricity. We dealt with those things. But um, one of the big issues, if, if you really want um, an underdeveloped country that comes to the kind of history that we had, was to say, yeah, 80%, 90% of the capital assets mm-hmm. in this country are owned by white people. Right. And you say, possibly you, are, you, 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 you begin the process this way. You say, once you free a people and you want to maximize opportunity for them to be participants in a growing economy, uh, how do you make sure that uh, the 
benefit goes to the disadvantaged people. Yeah. The key issue that possibly should underline that thinking yeah. is that the the nature of the economy is such that those who own capital, those who own skills, yeah. accumulate the most benefits from a growth strategy. Okay. So if you don't address that, if 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 the distribution of skills and capital in a country is skewed, mm-hmm. if you simply have market-friendly policies, those who have capital and skills will continue to grow and prosper and those who don't will be an an underclass. So let me push back. Let me push back. So people Mm -hmm. look at South Africa in that era when you were President Mbeki's economic advisor, the growth era, the glorious, and they say, yeah, growth rates went up to 5.5%. We saw jobs, 500,000 or so, being created each year. And even then, we believe that that wasn't... um, sufficient. But what we also saw is that that highest quintile becoming four times richer. So in other words, the richest white South Africans in apartheid became four times richer in a democracy. And the middle class that we created was created at a pace of about 11%, not fast enough. And yet here you have growth rates shooting up to the sky. So we've created a lot of value for those already who correct. own assets, but not substantial material change for the disadvantaged. Correct, correct. So which means our transformative interventions to deal with the structural issues of the economy were weak. Okay. We had a legal we, we as I said we had employment equity legislation, we had BE, but really the real transformative um, intervention that really enables those who were previously disadvantaged to really be meaningful participants, to see them benefiting from growth meaningfully, you transform scientific and technological and managerial capacity of the nation okay. through much more quality-focused education. That and also that has got a, a, a much deeper scientific transformative content, not only in the private schools but also in the rural schools, etc., and other yeah. and other places. So for me, uh, Lord, much as I've got great respect and I'm very proud of the pro- of the of the foundation that we established, yeah. we missed this one. The transformative thing in any country is what you do with the capabilities of the people the scientific, managerial, and technical capabilities of the people. Okay. If you look, these things that are being said about tiger, uh, the, the, the Asian tigers that are being said about China, look deeper. Is what has happened to the quality capabilities of the people is focusing on that. It was easy possible for Asian countries to focus, to prioritize the issue of building and enhancing the, the, the technical and managerial capabilities of right. their people because they had a long history of education and really valuing education. But on our, on our side, we were victims of bandwidth education mm-hmm. and, and all that. And, and somehow okay. we thought that there was a shortcut in this thing. Right. Whereas over centuries, there was never an intentional and purposeful, purposeful strategy okay. to empower us scientifically and technologically. Okay. And even after post-1994, we have not done that. And if we don't do that, we'll have the best policies that will continue to benefit 
those who have capital okay. and those who have skills and those who will always be in the minority. So when you say the we need to really enhance education, that's the first thing you are saying, but not just education, education that unlocks the scientific, innovative aspects Correct. of the human mind. So we need, so I'm hearing you say, yes. we need all kids in school non-negotiable, but all kids in school also being trained mathematically, scientifically, so that they can become the founders of Google, Alphabet, Tesla, Apple. South Africa needs to start moving in that direction because once young people are using their knowledge to unlock that kind of digital manufacturing scientific innovation, it takes the economy to the next level. Uh, yeah, that's what, what I'm saying, but even taking to even a lower level, if you look at children in KwaZulu-Natal or former Transkai. Mm -hmm. There, what you have is agriculture. Mm -hmm. The land. They've got the land. They have agriculture. Why isn't their education having a scientific component of using the latest technologies that are relevant to agriculture so that they can use... You know, one of the saddest things is that, you know, we've made great progress. When we talk about growth, I talk about uh, the... Num the, multi the, the fact that the economy has grown is much bigger than yeah. it was in 1994. Yeah. But you go to the former Transkai or you go to the rural areas in Limpopo, no change. Roads, yeah. people use the old methods of plowing their lands and possibly some are not even using the land. Yeah. So what I'm talking about, in, ad in addition to us being able to, our people to, to benefit and, and really be co-creators of the new technology in Google and so on, I'm talking about basic things to be able to grow the food and process it and, and, and really in the rural areas and so on. So we've not, not even done the most okay. basic things to actually transform the scientific, technical capability of our people so okay. that they can derive more, they can be agents of growth. Yeah. and development themselves. Okay. Now you're really speaking as the teacher that you are, the university vice chancellor that you are. <laughs> if you were sitting uh, in a conversation, I'm sure you have, with Dr. Bladen Zamande, who right now is on a big push mm -hmm. to resuscitate Tivit colleges and vocational training. And his basic argument, if I simplified it, is that if you look at Germany, which is the engine of growth in the European Union, 45, 49% of the German economy is made up of people's vocational skills. These people who are leading these big premier German brands from BMW, etc., are coming out of vocational... They're not engineers from a university. And South Africa needs that too. You see, Lorado, to, to get there, we must get mathematics, quality mathematics, pure mathematics, taught at every school in every village. Mm -hmm. And having biology these basic physical sciences so that our people can have confidence and mindsets to use, you know, to, to transform things at, at that level and have developed this mindset and confidence that they can actually build small things and uh, like, yeah. for instance, take pride in, 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 in doing work as a, yeah. as, as a mechanic in an industry or an electrician and so on. The reason our people, for instance, are not taking interest in these things is because they don't have the basic knowledge because the education does not give them that basic knowledge yeah. that would enable them to appreciate the importance of these things and have confidence to okay. go into, into those areas. Do you regret BEE? I'm not attributing it to you, but you no, were there. No, I'm not regretting B at all. But my point, 
is that um, given the fact that when you have got a situation where deliberate policies, capital and skills were really the, um, the, um, the prerogative of a few people who happen to be white, mm-hmm. you, you couldn't say that uh, we must wait. It was important that we, 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 we deliberately introduce education, training, that is focused on building the capacity of the people. Yeah. But understand that that was going to take a long time. Yeah. You had to do short-term intervention okay. by actually saying you cannot, after freedom, allow this, uh, this, this um, monopoly of wealth and so on by one group to continue. So you had to take short-term intervention. Okay. So for me, to me, uh, BE uh, and economic inquiry were short-term interventions that were necessary. Okay. It's a pity that they got hijacked by corrupt elements and so on. Okay. But really, I, I see nothing wrong with those policies. They were necessary. And of course, the most structural transformation would it's have needed. come through education. education and scientific training, okay. which I'm afraid we have not even begun. Okay. You were also then tasked with leading... Um, the new partnership for Africa's development uh, and socioeconomic renewal. And I know that a lot of strides have been taken and we now have a, an agenda 2063, which is kind of a blueprint. But you just get a sense that a lot of those programs with a peer review, NEPAD, they've lost traction. Or is it just we don't talk about them? It doesn't mean that work is not being done. Yes, they've lost momentum. Mm. You know, um, for what we were blessed with in the early 2000 was a strong transformative leadership provided by President Obasanjo mm-hmm. and Mbeki. Mm-hmm. I think they were so committed to African Renaissance and challenging Africans to embrace higher aspirations in terms of governance, democracy, and, 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 and all that. And, um, yeah, the fact that, of course, the economy started to grow during that time was further um, impetus in terms of uh, encouraging this. But I think post uh, the global financial crisis, uh, uh, growth also declined Mm. in Africa. And and, and now we find African countries, uh, most of them, becoming more indebted, and all that, hence poverty and inequalities resulting into the coups right. that we see in West Africa, yeah. and and um, yeah, and, and 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 all that. But yeah. in terms of this ambition of a pan-African organization bringing Africa together, right. we must continue with that. But for effectiveness, possibly the right. groupings initiative could be on a on a smaller scale, two or three countries. Right. May I ask you to put on your headphones? There's a question from Kuma. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Lerato, and uh, good morning to the renowned, uh, you know, Professor Ngusu there. Uh, just, just a quick one. Uh, drawing from what he has said, that uh, during uh, his epoch, uh, when he was an advisor to former president, Thabo uh, Mbeki, mm. uh, they had managed to put competent and qualified bureaucrats you know, who would take the country to where it was at the time. And uh, I am drawing this because yesterday, I'm sorry that uh, I am winding a bit, because yesterday I delivered, a, you know, a, a talk uh, to a leadership group uh, on the leadership dilemma in the SOEs. 
And amongst things, you know, that were said was uh, the reason why the SOEs are not performing uh, according to the charged mandate by the institution, it is because of political interference and uh, cater deployment. Mm. Uh, cater deployment in such a manner that, one, uh, they are not uh, deploying the capable cadres, mm. you know, to strategic positions. Or secondly, they are deploying very capable, but there's an element of a reciprocity, you know, that yes. they have to take it back, you know, to the ruling party. Now, a question uh, to, to, to Professor Nkursu is, during his epoch, how did they manage uh, to make sure okay. that, at, you know, at the deployment committee, we don't have, you know, these reciprocity things, okay. you know, from those who are, you know, charged uh, to make sure that uh, through SOEs yeah. we get, you know, the services, uh, yeah. you know, that we're supposed to right. be getting. Come on, I'm yes. just going to ask you to leave it there. So you're just talking about the fact that this is where, this is the machinery of of the developmental state, if we ever got to a developmental state, but you see a lot of patronage, even when people are capable. Yes. Yes, yes. You know, um, thank you for the for the question. You know, in the early days, when freedom is new, the aspiration to prove detractors mm. that you can... Um, match the highest standards in terms of ethical conduct and competence, that aspiration is very strong. And it becomes the guiding ethos in terms of how we behave and so on. So the fact that when you are identified, you know, for a position in government, you don't see yourself, you you see yourself as part of this cadre that is called upon to show what the African people, what black people who were previously excluded can do. So you, you go there motivated by making sure what I do my best to serve the people of South Africa, the public interest. But over time, as we know, uh, things changed. I think as possibly, you know, possibly uh, get more comfortable in the government, the issue of us getting rich quickly, that mentality grew and tended to submit the aspiration to serve the public and to be the best and to be respected by the rest of the world. Professor, we've run out of time, unfortunately. We're late into news. Apologies to Nyakalo, but I do want to ask this question, just for the sake of young people who think, so I'm so despondent, so in despair, I can't see the future. Not only are you South Africa's first ever black chartered accountant, but with due respect, you are that rural boy that you've been describing from Egala, a Eastern Cape. Mm-hmm. Your upbringing, if anybody looked at it superficially, could never have led to one of South Africa's foremost leaders, economic advisors, thinkers, policymakers emerging, and yet it did. So... What is that story and how can other people draw from the fundamental lessons you've learned growing up? Uh, the issue of wh- wh- when you grow up, I'm sure the first influence is from your mother. You get the milk from her. Mm. And, and uh, you learn at early days to please her mm. and, and so on. And, and, and as you grow up, 
Yeah, in my case, I think those upbringings and expectations of my parents, they thought that I was the greatest thing in the world, they want me to succeed. I took them very seriously. So there were were things like that that were influencing my sense of pride in myself. So I think the issue of having a purpose in your life quite early is, is very important. It's never late. It doesn't matter where you come from. And also just understanding that uh, whatever the circumstances around you, you have got the power as a human being to choose yeah. what you internalize becomes your leader. What I'm calling for is just our young people should take seriously the question of um, personal mastery. Mm. And I think as leaders, we must really take seriously the issue of strengthening our own mastery so yeah. that we choose the right values and be guided by deeper purpose in our lives that is serving being making a positive country, uh, contribution to the lives of others professor wiseman ngulu distinguished chartered accountant chairman of kpmg first ever black chartered accountant in south africa former president of the black management forum and to that end as he turned 80 in february this year bonang mohale uh, another prominent south african wrote a tribute to professor ngulu he said many things but he said this this is a man who doesn't play by the rule book and yet cooperates with his team, always remaining fiercely independent. Fierce independence, guided by your own values, that's mastery. And for everything you are, we thank you, Professor Ngulu. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.